Okay, all right. Good morning. Good to see you. Oh, man, so happy that you've come. You know, it's always that first Sunday after Christmas Day where you wonder who's going to be in church. So we're just two days after the 25th, and look at you, you faithful body of believers. And for all of those watching online as well, thanks for watching. We had a great first service. Hopefully this one's going to be just as good. I'm sure it will. I uh, hope you had a wonderful Christmas, and I anticipate that it was quiet for most of you. Uh, hopefully a special time with your immediate family and surrounded by uh, just gifts and listening to music and enjoying movies and turkey, and I hope you took time as well just to remember God's greatest gift, uh, the gift of Christ at Christmas, amen? So hopefully you had some time in prayer and getting into the word and that greatest story. Uh, this morning, I am going to share a message with you that I feel like it's been burning in my heart for several months now, even though I've just prepared it this past week. But several weeks into the pandemic, and it was actually just after we opened up again uh, and we reopened the Father's house, I received a message from a lady from church, and she had come to service for the first time in a long time. And all of you will remember those 17 weeks of online ministry between March and June. But she came to a service, and what she said was, Peter, I had no idea how much I missed going to church. Oh, and she said, I've been desperately lonely, and I've been feeling far away from God. And, and to inform you, we've received lots of messages like that as we've been texting people, calling people, reaching out, different ones saying, wow, this isolation, I feel lonely, I feel disconnected from people, and even from the Lord. I find myself saying, uh, things are so different today. Things are so different today, especially from, you know, December 2019 or January 2020. The most common conversation that I had with extended family uh, over FaceTime uh, in the last couple days was people talking about what's changed, especially my grandparents, talking to them about it. They would say, remember the good old days? When grandparents say, remember the good old days, you think, all right, yeah, back to the 1950s or whatever. But no, remember back to January 2020 when you could travel and you could make plans and you could go anywhere and things hadn't changed. Church, remember the good old days when you could go grocery shopping without a mask? And uh, when you could have a whole bunch of cars outside your house and no fear of your neighbors reporting you. Ah, the good old days. The good old days. I would give anything for those days. Has anybody noticed just um, the tension that people have been walking through? We've talked a lot about this in the last few months. We won't belabor it, but, you know, people are agitated more than ever now. It's not only that they've done all their Christmas shopping and they've had to make meals, and sometimes at Christmas people are a little more stressed anyways, but COVID on top of it. Some people are terrified and maybe even incredibly angry at their worst. More than any other time in our ministry, our pastors and our prayer partners are talking to people who are experiencing a profound sense of disconnection. And again, this was some of my conversations over Christmas. People who are feeling hopeless, lacking confidence in the future, lacking direction, questioning everything and questioning everyone. Some people, of course, are diving into conspiracy theories. Who's behind this? Who's really pushing all of this stuff? What's the truth? Uh, sadly, for some, it's easy to slip back into destructive habits and rhythms when you start experiencing those things like hopelessness and disconnection and isolation and such. Most people, in some form or another, would say, life just has not worked the way that I wanted it to work in 2020. Hopefully 2021 is that much better. Everything feels pretty fragile. And so for all those reasons and more, the title of my message today is What Your Life is Missing. We're going to talk about what your life is missing. Maybe you're going to say nothing's missing at all. Pastor, I agree with everything you're saying, and I've received it. It's amazing. It's going to be a great year, but I believe that there are people, uh, maybe who are watching online or in the room, certainly in our world, that are experiencing uh, a gap, a deficit. Something's missing. And so for both of those gathered online and, uh, and in the room today, let's begin with a word of prayer. Hallelujah. God, thank you for just a great morning. Lord, I enjoyed worship Lord, I just enjoy fellowship with your people. 
Lord, I love seeing people come through the door and greet one another and have coffee, and it's just wonderful to be your church. Lord, I bless each and every person who is watching online as well, that today you would fill us overflowing with hope and joy and peace and every good thing. God, we pray that by the power of your spirit and through the truth of your word, God, that you would help us to discover what's missing. And Lord, that we would know you intimately and that we would come to a place of desiring to serve you all the more passionately as your church. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Come on. All right, so today I want to talk to you about the church. We're going to talk about the church. The lady that I talked about just a few minutes ago, uh, she said, Peter, I had no idea how much I was missing, what did she say, the church. The root Greek word that is translated as church in the New Testament, it actually appears 107 times, which is amazing because that Greek word's never mentioned uh, prior to the New Testament. And it's the word ecclesia. Ecclesia, it literally means the called out ones, those who have been called out by God. And we often view church as a place. And we've been very focused on a building, especially the last few years in constructing this facility for our church. But the church is not a place. The church is a description of a gathering and a community. And its truest definition, church, is not a building or an event. It's not only a place. The church is a people. It's all about relationship. We are the church, gathered together to be strengthened and to be called out into God's purpose. That's who we are. Did you know that Jesus was the first one in the New Testament to use the word ecclesia, church? He's talking to his disciples, and he asks them a question, and he says, who do people say that I am? And so he's wondering what's going through the rumor mill about him. And the disciples were pondering this question, and, and they were saying things like John the Baptist. Some people say you're John the Baptist, or Elijah, or Jeremiah, and they just start naming off prophets. And then Jesus turns the question to Peter, the best disciple, right? And he says, who do people say that I am? And the Spirit of God must have just come upon Peter because he has this revelation and he says, Jesus, you're the Messiah. You're the Christ. You are the Son of the living God. I mean, total download from heaven upon Peter in that moment. And then uh, Jesus says this to Peter, again, the first time that the word ecclesia, church, is used in the Bible. Matthew 16, verse 18. He says, on this rock... I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. On this revelation of Christ and his identity and who he is, I will build the church, and the gates of hell will not prevail. Jesus said, I will build my church. How many of you know it's his church? It's not Pastor Greg's church. It's not Peter's church. It's, it's, this is Christ's church built on the foundation of salvation and who he is. There's a quote that says, the church is the hope of the world. Oh man, that one gets pastors going. Come on, the church is the hope of the world. Hallelujah. Some of you might say, Jesus is the hope of the world. Yes, Jesus is the hope of the world, but you are the hands and feet of Jesus. That's who you are. You are the hands and feet of Jesus, representing him to the world. Another statement that helps us understand uh, the purpose of the church is this one. Uh, the gospel is the mission, and the church is the method. The gospel is the mission, the church is the method. The church exists so that people can find their way home to a relationship with God and grow as disciples of Jesus. We have this amazing sign over our coffee bar. Have you noticed it? I'm sure you have. It says, welcome home. And that's not only welcome home to a beautiful facility, that is welcome home to a relationship with your heavenly Father who loves you, who is for you. We were singing about it this morning. Now, I think about the influence of the church upon my own life. I'm going to share some stories this morning. I know Pastor Greg did that a couple weeks ago, and I'm like, man, stories are so good. Let me just share the story a little bit about my life, and especially the church's influence upon my life. Now, um, I know that I've shared this story in a previous message before, but one of my earliest memories of the church was listening to my pastor at uh, Northgate Baptist Church in Edmonton. That's where I spent the first 16 years of my life going to church, was at Northgate Baptist. And uh, my pastor at that time, his name was Pastor Ralph Corner. 
And uh, I don't really remember much of what Pastor Ralph said, to be honest. It's probably, you know, five or six years old when I really started catching on that he's on stage and he's talking and, and whatnot. But I know that when Pastor Ralph was speaking, I would feel something. I would get inspired. I would feel moved. And let me tell you what kids do when they feel inspired and when they get moved. They color pictures. That's what kids do. Sometimes you just can't put it into words, the feelings, but you can always color a picture. A picture is worth a thousand words, amen? And so uh, what I would do is I would color pictures for Pastor Ralph. I distinctly remember handing him pictures after the sermon. And I just, again, not really comprehending what he was saying, but knowing that what he was saying was important up there on stage. I remember as a kid, uh, my mom especially, but my parents would say, Peter, I just know that God has his hand on your life. You're going to do something great for him one day. And then I caught on to the fact that every mom says that <laughs> to her children, which is awesome. It's not that I was necessarily any different or special, but I believe that every parent should do that for their kids, just seeding their little hearts with, man, God's got a plan for you. He's good for you. He, he loves you. My parents, both of them, would say that all the time. Man, God's got a plan for your life. Uh, most of you don't know this, but I almost died when I was two. And I had this uh, disease called pneumococcal meningitis. And it's caused by inflammation in the layers that surround the brain and the spinal cord. And, and I was so close to losing my life with uh, meningitis. And uh, the doctors told me I had about a 50% chance of making it through and recovering from that. But what I remember my parents telling me was that I was on numerous prayer chains, different churches, the one that I grew up in, but other people, people I didn't even know who were praying for me to recover. And whenever they told me that story, I was thankful. God, thank you that people prayed for me. Thank you, God, that you saved my life. And so all the more, it just birthed in me this desire growing up to honor God and to serve him with my life. Years later, in a youth group, it's probably about, you know, 13, 14 years old, uh, we had this youth pastor named Joe Weber. And uh, Joe Weber was my hero. This guy was my hero. Um, I actually messaged him a couple years back. I found him on Facebook, and I just sent him a message and said, dude, do you have any idea how profoundly you influenced my life? I just wanted to say thank you. But in hindsight, Joe was probably just a normal guy. He's probably average Joe. But he planned awesome games, and he shared messages about having a relationship with God. I don't remember much of what he said either, but I know that it seeded my heart. I know that it moved me and inspired me, and in listening to him, seeds were planted. My high school years were spent in a small town called Three Hills. And this was the only time in my entire life that I've moved away from Morinville. I'm kind of born and raised on a farm just north of Morinville, but I lived for three years in Three Hills, and I attended a school called Prairie Christian Academy. I lived in dorms my first year, and I lived with a family for two of those years. But um, my friends and I went to church every Sunday. I'm talking about the church. I'm talking about the influence of the church on my life. When we lived in the dorms, it was the expectation, you go to church, you put on a tie, you go. And we went to youth group, and we went to midweek Bible studies, and of course I had non-Christian friends as well. I don't want you getting this picture that somehow I was the perfect kid, because I wasn't. But I had non-Christian friends, and in as much as I tried to be a good influence on them, sometimes they were a terrible influence upon me, and I made a lot of mistakes, especially throughout my high school years as well. But most of my friends were Christians. Most of my friends were greatly involved in the church and passionate about serving God. I had a friend uh, named Johnny, Johnny Rendell from Three Hills. And uh, Johnny and I were all about the ladies in high school, and we wanted to be physically fit, and so we, were, we went running together all the time. We went running. And I remember Johnny would actually come to my window, and he'd knock on the window of the basement, and I'd already be in my shorts and whatnot, and we'd run outside, and we'd run track. And sometimes, we did this a couple times, we ran up to uh, the Three Hills. Now, let me tell you why Three Hills is called Three Hills. It's because there are three perfect bumps as you make your way into the community. It's why it's called Three Hills. So we're running up to the Three Hills, and um, I remember... 
Johnny and I had this conversation about ministry. This just sticks out in my head. We're running, and I'm just like, dude, I think I want to be a pastor one day. And he's like, you know what? Me too. I just feel it strongly on my heart that we're going to be in ministry one day. Johnny actually ended up in ministry. He ended up serving at several different Bible camps as a coordinator. And more recently, he's been serving as a youth pastor in different churches. Uh, another one of my friends, as a side note, his name is Mike. He became the youth pastor at the church that I grew up in for a while. And so that was kind of a small world. But the point that I'm getting to is that I was discipled through the church. And learning scripture and being corrected and encouraged and sharpened through the word, it all happened in the context of church. I started growing spiritually through the church. And uh, not just through attending buildings, because again, the church is not a building, the church is not a place, the church is a people, uh, but I was formed and shaped by actively involving myself in community, immersing myself in relationships with the church, uh, the habit of reading my Bible, the habit of worshiping and buying only worship albums and listening to them and, and praying confidently and out loud, it began at church. And the call to serve and to help others and to be generous and to give my tithe faithfully, where did it happen? It all happened at church. And evidently, uh, my calling and my career as a pastor had happened in church as well. Um, so in 2006, one of Pastor Greg's closest friends, his name is Rick Leibel, uh, he came to speak with us at our school's discipleship program. And so since 2006, we've probably ran about eight or nine discipleship programs, and I was part of the first year in 2006. And so I was just 18 years old. Uh, Rick Leibel had never met me. He didn't know anything about my desire for ministry. And he comes into discipleship school, and uh, he locks eyes with me. For those of you who know Rick Leibel, you don't want to lock eyes with, with him. He's kind of a little scary when you lock eyes with Rick Leibel, and he's got this really deep, deep, deep voice when he talks and whatnot. And uh, the first thing Rick Leibel said to me was, Pastor Peter. And that's what he said. He looked at me and he said, Pastor Peter. And when he said that, oh man, shivers went down my spine. My eyes started welling up with tears because I was definitely not Pastor Peter. I wasn't. I was just out of high school. I had thought about being a pastor. Johnny and I had talked about it a little bit. But Rick calling me Pastor Peter, I was like, whoa, this is crazy. And then he said, God is saying to feed his sheep. God is saying to shepherd his flock. And after that, like, I mean, the tears were flowing. It was crazy. But a powerful desire to serve God in ministry was birthed in my heart. And so what am I getting at here? Not only my childhood, not only my years as a youth and my career as a pastor were in the context of church. Uh, how many of you love a love story? Anybody love a love story? But my marriage, my relationship with my wife happened in the context of church. When I was 18, and uh, Chantel was 17, actually our choir from Three Hills came and visited Morinville, so I was excited to come to my hometown. But the choir was singing, and uh, Chantel, that was the first time I met her at the Rendezvous Center here in Morinville. But in involving myself in this church uh, after high school, for three years, I led Chantel along. So this is a confession. Okay, hear my confession. For three years, I like brutally led Chantel on. We prayed together, we worshiped together, we served long hours in the church together, set up, take down, worship, media, administration, all, kids ministry, all of it. It's kind of like a uh, most emotional soap opera happening in the church. But all the while, I would tell Chantel, I'll never marry you. I'll never marry you. I told her that several times. We're just going to be friends. And sometimes I listen to young adults today. Oh, no, I could never marry him. I'm like, yeah, yeah, you just watch. <laughs> Your best friends, right? Um, three years in to that friendship, Pastor Greg took me to uh, Edo, Japan in St. Albert for lunch. We went to Edo, Japan. I'll always remember that. And he's staring at me from across the table, and he's like, Peter, do you have any idea the quality of the woman that God has placed right before your eyes? 
Can you not see that she loves you? What, what are you doing, man? What are you doing? And as the story goes, I drove back from Edo, Japan in St. Albert, and the Holy Spirit just hit me. He just hit me, and I began crying, and I was like, oh, man, I've, I've, been, I've been the worst in leading this girl along. Lord, forgive me. And then suddenly, it was just like my eyes were opened, and the scales fell off, and I was like, Lord, she's awesome. She's amazing. She's beautiful. She's godly. She's righteous. How come I never noticed? <clears throat> and so in the coming weeks, uh, Chantel and I began dating. It was uh, Christmas time, 2009, and I always like to say that I was the best Christmas present that she could have ever asked for <laughs> that year. <laughs> She's probably in the parent room right now going, no, I was the best Christmas <laughs> present. That it's true. But we were engaged in uh, June 2010. We were married in June 2011. And uh, let me just brag, because I'm the one with the microphone here, but today we have four of the cutest little kids you could ever see. We love our children. So energetic, so exhausting, but so amazing. It was, it was not a quiet Christmas in the, in the Vischer house. It was a very loud Christmas in our house. But church, now as parents, we experience the joy of seeing our kids in church. We experience the joy of seeing our kids love God and love his house. Our kids' ministry team is doing an amazing job discipling up not only my kids, but your kids to love Jesus. And the same goes for our Christian school. All of my kids' friends are from church, and they're worshiping and praying together and doing memory verses and learning Bible stories and all these amazing things. It's incredible. Now, I want you to catch this next statement because I hope it's true for you, but this is really what happened in my heart and what I came to this week. Everything that I can find that's meaningful in my life is a reflection of the work of the Holy Spirit through the church. That's true. And that's not just me. I, I just hope that that's true for you. Everything that I can find that's meaningful in my life is a reflection of the work of God through his body, the bride of Christ, through the church. And some of you are saying, oh yeah, well, it's because you're a pastor. No, it's not because I'm a pastor. It was way before I was a pastor. It's because I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm part of the bride of Christ, the church, and I hope that you have stories like that too. We sang about it this morning. All my life you have been faithful. All my life you have been so, so good. I have stories back to when I was two years old of the Lord's faithfulness upon my life. And even if you have been disconnected from him, even if you didn't know him when you were a kid or a teenager or a young adult or your life is full of struggle, you can look at your life and say, I see the Lord's faithfulness. I see his kindness. I see his goodness. I see his grace. Hallelujah. Or times where God used his church to shape you into who you are today. I want to let you know that our lives happen in the context of church, and our kids' lives happen in the context of church, and I hope that our grandkids' lives happen in the context of church. Hallelujah. And so you heard me call the church the bride of Christ. That analogy actually comes from Ephesians chapter 5, and uh, the Apostle Paul is talking about the relationship between a husband and a wife as being similar to that between Christ and his church. And the reason I'm mentioning that analogy is I want to try something with you right now. I want to try a little experiment with the word of God. Uh, I'm going to read a portion of Proverbs 31. Now, for those of you who have been in the church a long time, what do you know Proverbs 31 to be about? Uh, Proverbs 31, ladies, is about godly women. It's about a godly wife, a godly woman. The chapter describes these amazing standards of what it is to be a Christian woman. But what I want you to know right now is that any time you read the Bible, all scripture points towards Jesus. This is something I learned in Bible college. This is something that Pastor Greg has taught our staff. When you look at scripture, you can look at the Old Testament and you can see images and prophetic words and poetry. And if you look at it through the lens of Christ, you will realize that Jesus is the main character of scripture. He's the main character of the Bible. 
And so what I want to do is show you Proverbs 31 in the Passion Translation. So a little side note, if you have the YouVersion Bible app, download the YouVersion Bible app, and then download the Passion Translation. It's a great version of the Bible. Uh, but in this chapter specifically, there's a metaphor that's beautiful, and I want to explain what I'm going to do. When we look at the husband in Proverbs 31, what I'm going to do is I'm going to change the word husband to Jesus, okay? So anytime, Passion Translation, Proverbs 31, husband is Jesus. And anytime we see the godly woman, the bride, I'm not going to change the word of God, but all I'm going to do is I'm going to insert the word church. That's it. And I'm going to start in verse 10 and skip a stone all the way over the text to verse 31. Jesus is the groom and the church is the bride. Here we go. Verse 10. It says, Who could ever find a church like this one? Christ's church is full of strength and mighty valor. The church is full of wealth and wisdom. The price paid for the church was greater than many jewels. The church searches out continually to possess that which is pure and righteous. The church gives out revelation, truth to feed others. The church tastes and experiences a better substance, and the shining light of the church will not be extinguished, no matter how dark the night. The church is known by her extravagant generosity to the poor, for she always reaches out her hands to those who are in need. The church is not afraid of tribulation, for all her household is covered in the dual garments of righteousness and grace. Isn't that beautiful? The church's husband, Jesus, is famous and admired by all. Bold power and glorious majesty are wrapped around the church, and she laughs with joy over the latter days. The church's teachings are filled with wisdom and kindness as loving instruction pours from her lips. The church watches over the ways of her household and meets every need they have. Her sons and daughters arise in one accord to extol her virtues. And her husband, Jesus, arises to speak of her in glowing terms. There are many valiant and noble ones, but the church has ascended them all. Charm can be misleading, and beauty is vain, and so quickly fades, but the church lives in the wonder, awe, and fear of the Lord. The church will be praised throughout eternity, so go ahead and give the church the credit that is due, for she has become radiant, and all her loving works of righteousness deserve to be admired. Isn't that an amazing metaphor when you just switch out just two concepts in Proverbs 31. That's based on Proverbs 10, or 31, 10 to 31. Now, in hearing that, if that connects with you emotionally, if that's like, yes, hallelujah, amen, then you probably recognize that you don't just go to church. You probably recognize that I am part of the church. This is who I am. Jesus said, I will build my church. And as has been the case in my life, come on now, has Jesus been building your life? Has he been building your life? Has he been faithful? He's been there in sickness and in health. He's been patient and loving. He's been strengthening you and holding you. And he's led you by the hand. That's the testimony for hundreds of us that call the Father's house home church. But that's the testimony for millions and billions of people around the world as well. All my life you have been faithful. All my life you have been so, so good. I just told you the story of my life. All my life. God, you've been faithful. But if that's not your testimony, then I would ask you, what's missing? What's missing? Why is your life not working the way that it should? Why is it that you feel disconnected or alone or trapped or hopeless or desperate? That ought not be. Are you missing the full expression and the power and the wonder of church in your life? All of that relationship, all of that love, all of that connection, all of that purpose. Or maybe it's not just that you're missing the church, but I can tell you from this end, as pastors and leaders and volunteers and servants, we miss you. Sometimes it's the other way around. It's not just that you're missing church, but maybe the church is missing you. Because, again, we don't just go to church. You are the church. You are the church. If the church is a destination, then you can leave a church. 
But the church is not a destination. The church is an identity. It's not a building. It's a people. And that's why we don't just go to church. All of us gathered in the room and online right now, we are the church, and we exist for others. We exist for Sturgeon County. We exist for the world. What's amazing to me is that the first time Jesus mentions the word ecclesia, the first time he talks about the church, he says, I will build my church. And then if you are reading the same Bible as me, what Jesus does not say is, I will build my church and they will have great programs. I will build my church and they will have amazing ministries and there will be the most entertaining and they'll have great songs and a great auditorium with ambiance and good coffee and there will never be technical issues ever online. I will build my church and no one will ever be offended and no one will ever be unhappy because I will build my church. Did Jesus say that? Jesus never said that. He said, I will build my church And he says, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. I mean, boom, there's some power packed in that statement. In other words, the first time that Jesus talks about the church, there is a clear and a plain reminder that we are engaged in a battle. We are engaged in the battle. Churches that are focused on programs and perfection and making sure everybody's happy, it's not it. They're missing it. But churches that push back the forces of darkness are right on point. They're moved by the power of the Holy Spirit. They're driven, determined, unstoppable. They have prayer meetings. They're fasting. They're in the word. They're in worship. They're awesome. We need that strength in the church right now. But we also need to recognize our enemy. We talk about the enemy. We don't like talking about him very much. But the Bible says our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers and against authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against spiritual forces of evil in in the heavenly realms. That's Ephesians 6, verse 12. Some people, even Christians, they think the devil is kind of like this pesky, annoying guy. You know? He's kind of a jerk. You don't really have to worry about him. Devil is the guy that likes to wrestle with you and He'll put you in a headlock and give you a noogie. He'll give you a shot in the gut and run away giggling. It's the devil. But I want to tell you that that is not the devil. That is not the devil. The devil comes to rob, kill, steal, destroy, terrorize, kill. Wow. I'll tell a story for you. I remember in high school, I was uh, at the swimming pool. And so amazing thing about Three Hills, it's, it's amazing to me that Morinville's like upwards of 10,000. It's probably because we're so close to the city, but we don't have a pool. But Three Hills has an aquatic center, and we would go swimming almost every day, my friends and I. And uh, this one day we were swimming, and we were goofing around, and uh, we were dunking each other. Typical high school boys, right? Like dunk each other under the water. And um, my friends couldn't get me under the water. They couldn't, but the problem was is that they were approaching me individually and kept trying to get me under. And so three of them say, we're going at them together. And so three of them eventually corner me in the deep end of the pool and three bodies jump on my head. And I go under the water. And again, it was a game. It was silly. It was fun. But then suddenly I'm like, oh man, this is not a game. <laughs> I'm getting water in my nose, and I began panicking uncontrollably, and then it was like, okay, like, I'm gonna die. And so I, I started swinging my fists and punching and whatnot, and they're like, whoa, dude, like, what gives? And I come out of the water, and I gasp for air, and I start coughing, and I told them, guys, you, you almost just killed me. It's not funny. Church, it's not a silly game when it comes to the devil. Sometimes I wonder if we just, we, we We just don't take it seriously. We see things that are happening in our family or extended family, or we just kind of innocently are getting into the wrong TV shows or music or habits or whatnot, and we're just like, ha ha, (laughs) devil, like whatever. It's not funny. It's not. The enemy wanted to kill me when I was two years old. He wanted to take me out with meningitis. There were times in my youth years where the enemy wanted to kill me. He wanted to draw me into worldly things and terrible things and get me hooked on the wrong things. There are times today where 
let me tell you, the enemy comes against my marriage. Just because I'm a pastor doesn't mean I have the perfect marriage. The enemy wants to come against you. He wants to come against your relationships. He wants to come at your health, everything. Sometimes he comes at my kids, and there's times where I'm praying over them, and they have an allergic reaction, and we've had to take them to the hospital. There's nothing worse than that. It's awful. But the enemy wants to tell you lies about the church and about the body of Christ, and he thrives on disunity and division, and he loves when the church is fragmented and separate from one another. Our battle is not against mask wearers and anti-maskers. It's not against those who vote this way or vote that way or post this way or post that way on Facebook. Our battle is against spiritual forces of this dark world. Some of you have experienced terrible things, dark things, and you know that other side. You're like, oh man, I know there's a devil. I've seen what he's done in my life or in the lives of my family or my friends. But we are the church. And we are called to be the light. And we are called to be a force of love and to push back the enemy. I was mentioning in the first service, I love the glass crosses on this facility. I love that we put 20 lights in the cove to light it up that much more. And on the highway, it's just beaming the light of the gospel, the light of the church. Listen to me, what's missing in your life? Maybe it's the church, or maybe the church is missing you because you're disengaged or you're disconnected or you're not coming or you're not involved, let me just encourage you and to plead with you to engage, to engage in the spiritual battle. What might be missing? Maybe you're missing just people came to mind. And that's all of the relationships. You know, the Bible says that iron sharpens iron and that together you strengthen and lift and love and convict and correct and encourage one another. That's not just the pastors. That's you in all of your varying relationships in the body, to strengthen, lift, love, convict, correct, encourage. You can't do that alone. I have to have your back, you have to have mine. And that can happen when we gather. I long for the day when we can all gather together again. But it can also happen online. And it can happen when we call and text and email one another as well. I texted a lady last night in our church, uh, Telma, Telma Kennett. And I said, can I tell a story about you in my sermon? Um, a couple months back, Telma sent me a text. And I literally just copied and pasted this text into my sermon. Uh, I, haven't, I haven't seen Telma in months at this point. It's not like we're particularly close. It's not like, you know, she's one of my people, right? She's, just, she's somebody in our church with an amazing heart that felt to send me a text. And she said, I have been feeling in my heart a strong call to pray for you, Peter. I hope you and your beautiful family are doing well. God bless you and always keep you safe under his wings. We miss everybody so much. Man, that's a text I read like five times. And I was like, wow, thank you, Telma, for thinking about me and my family. Can I challenge you with something? Don't sit around and wait for somebody to call you or to text you. But the challenge for you is who can you remember? Who can you bless? because we cannot fight alone, amen? Maybe you're missing people and all those relationships. Maybe you're missing out on prayer. And God just began talking to me this week about intimacy with the Lord. You know, it ought not be that when troubled times come and trials and hardships where the church slinks back into poor rhythms and destructive habits and, you know, it, it cues us to something when people say to us, oh yeah, I'm so disconnected from God right now, this is an opportunity for intimacy. This is an opportunity for closeness with the Lord, that when hard things happen, we just draw closer. Don't just sit by and watch the news all day and blah, 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 the world's going to hell and it's the end of the world and see how bad it is and the numbers are climbing, but do something. Engage in the fight. Get in the word. You know, listen to sermons. I've talk to a few people, say, I just go back and listen to them all again. It's awesome. Or I listen to this preacher or other preachers, and, and they're just, they're so keen on getting in the presence of God. When you get down on your knees, and when you pray, the heavens open, and the power of God descends upon the Father's house, upon Sturgeon County, upon your family. You are gifted. You are anointed. You have authority. You are the bride of Christ. You are awesome church. You are awesome. 
You just keep reading those devotions. You just keep turning up worship. Um, I know I've mentioned it before, but there have been times during COVID where it's been so depressing in my house. I've been like, ugh, this, it's been awful. And sometimes I don't make the best decisions in those moments, but there have been a few times where I connect my Bluetooth to my speaker and I turn up the worship, man. I turn it up. And there was this one day, I remember I, I was listening to worship and I began just worshiping and then the kids began singing and then Chantel was sitting on the love seat and she just opened her hands and she just began to cry. It was so refreshing. It was so amazing. And so I urge you, make the enemy cover his ears. Make the enemy cover his ears. He's a defeated devil. Maybe what you're missing is purpose. I know that uh, 50% of our church isn't gathering right now, but your purpose as a Christian is actually not just here on Sundays. It's not. You can invite people to join you online, live.tfhchurch.ca at 9 and 11. And online church, you know that there's a button that says invite somebody to join you. Has anybody ever used that? You know, you click invite someone to join you and you can send the link to anybody via text or Facebook and others can join you for church. Anybody can come to church online. Anybody can be generous with their time, their talents, their treasures, their testimony. Put on a mask, put on some gloves, serve at higher grounds. They need help. Make a donation and fill up the giving tree. That's how people eat at higher grounds, people who are low income and struggling. Uh, make cards for others. Uh, Elaine Quinn was in the first service, but uh, Nancy and Alexis Morgan Taylor, they also make cards. The most beautiful cards, amazing cards, and they bless other people with them. Or pick up the phone and call someone, encourage them. Uh, as many of you know, we just started a new ministry called The Care Team, and it's an extension of pastoral care in our church. We're like, hey, we only have three pastors right now, or four pastors. We, it's hard to call 400 plus people in our church. We have over 20 people now making calls on our behalf saying, we love you, we miss you, we care about you. How are you? Is there anything that we can do for you? But let me tell you something. That doesn't have to be a ministry of the church. You can do that. Choose five friends and say, and do what Telma did. Send them encouraging texts and notes or give them a call. Can you imagine if everybody did that? Can you imagine the impact if everybody in the church said, I'm going to take care of three people and I'm going to drop cookies off at their house and I'm going to send them notes and I'm going to call them and I'm going to text them and say, hey, we missed you today in church. We would truly be the church because the amount of care that would happen in the body would be amazing. Nobody would feel lonely or isolated. And so we're going to close uh, my message right now. And uh, I'm going to invite up the worship team because we're going to sing that song, Goodness of God. But church, what I want us to understand in concluding this message is that we are not spiritual consumers, but we are spiritual contributors. We're not spiritual consumers, we're spiritual contributors. Now, I mean, you can consume on Jesus all day. You can consume on the word of God and worship and prayer all day, but when it comes to church, be a contributor. Be somebody who pours out your life to help somebody else. The church doesn't exist for us, but we are the church and we exist for the world. And we are full of faith. We're not full of fear. The Bible says that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and a sound mind. We are the church. And we are united and against standing against the enemy whose mission is to kill, steal, destroy. We are a church built with care, and we exist to welcome people home to a relationship with their heavenly Father. In Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20, it says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or think or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. What's missing from your life? Are you missing the church? Is that maybe the church is missing you? If you're missing people right now, do everything you can to be relational. 
Because isolation wants to suck you further into isolation, but you do everything you can to be relational in as much as you're comfortable, especially with your church family. If you're missing out on prayer right now and intimacy, there's an opportunity in the battle. There's an opportunity in the loneliness. There's an opportunity in the depression and in the low seasons. How many of you have heard that old analogy that fruit doesn't grow on the mountains, it grows in the valleys? <laughs> Let the fruit grow in the valley. Are you missing out on purpose? It's far more blessed to give than to receive. That's what Jesus said. Look for meaningful ways to help your neighbors, your friends, to help in church. Look out for the needs of others and not just your own. Engage in the battle. Step up. Step in. Because the only response to the one who gave his life for us is, Jesus, I'm going to give my all to him. I'm going to give my all to you, God, because all my life you've been so faithful. All my life, you've been so, so good. Praise God. And so why don't you stand and sing this song with some heart. Sing it out, amen. I love you. Oh, you it never fails me in all my days. I've been held in your hands from the moment that I wake up till I lay my head and I will sing of the goodness of God. Come on church, we're making a prayer right now. the goodness of God. I love your voice. You have led me through the fire. Darkest night. You are close like no other.
So church, I just release more and more of that goodness into your new year. Hallelujah. God's goodness in your family, in your work, in your recreation and habits, in your vacation. God's goodness, even in your troubles and your trials and your struggles, we just release all of his goodness into you. And I just, I felt the Holy Spirit speaking to me during this last song. It doesn't matter if you look back on your life and you're saying, I, I, I haven't been faithful. Well, God's been faithful to you. And sometimes even if you're 30 years old, 40 years old, 50 years old, you look back and you see his mercy. You see his loving kindness. And you see him in the mistakes. And you see him in the mess ups. And you see him in everything that's missing. And you can and you will have a testimony of all my life you have been faithful. It doesn't need to look like mine. God's faithfulness can start when you're 50 years old. <laughs> Your recognition of his faithfulness can start when you're 50 years old. He's always been faithful. He's always been good. Amen? And so begin just looking for the powerful, amazing, wonderful ways that he is faithful and good in your life. You are the church. God bless you. May you be filled overflowing with the life of the Holy Spirit as you enter into 2021 this year. God bless you. Amen.